Welcome to Episode 8 of Speak Better. I'm Rebecca Lindquist, also known as Lindquist the Linguist, and this podcast is all about speaking better. Whether you're a native or a non-native speaker of American English, you can learn to improve your speech, whether it's your vocabulary, how you articulate, how you show up, that is how other people perceive of and see you, or anything related to communication, we'll be discussing those topics in this podcast. And for today's episode, I'd like to talk specifically about vocabulary. So many of my clients, and as you know, if you've listened to other episodes, I used to do accent reduction coaching with executives and all kinds of professionals for many years from all different countries of the world. And people would always ask me how to improve their vocabulary. It pretty much seemed that no matter how good someone's vocabulary is, they always want to improve it. One thing to know is that written vocabulary and spoken are quite different. Words like hence and therefore may be common in writing or especially academic writing, for example, but not common in everyday speech. And you'll seem strange to people if you're using obsolete vocabulary that really isn't used in common language. It's also important to know the vernacular, that is the vocabulary for the field that you're speaking to or speaking in. So that is if you're interested in medicine or a particular branch of medicine or technology, you need to make sure that you're using language that other people would use. And that's pretty obvious. A lot of times people are good with buzzwords, they're good with acronyms, but there's just not a lot of variety in how they speak, or more often, the language is too general. We all know words like good, bad, nice, pretty, but not many of us use words that are more specific, delightful, empowered, elaborate, words that make you think specifically of something. They may even make you see an image of it. And the more specific you can be, the better. So that's the idea behind broadening your vocabulary. It's not impressing people or knowing certain words because they're cool words to know. It's more about being able to express yourself in a way that conveys the meaning and the messaging that you're after. And that's something that is sometimes more of an art than a science. I know for years I was very interested in a program by Charles Elster Harrington. I don't know if it's still around in a new form, but I'm sure you can find the books from the past. It was called Verbal Advantage. There was a program they sold on the radio for years that came with exercises, and there were little quizzes along the way. I remember dating back to cassette tapes, that I would get these tapes and play them in the car, and going on a road trip, for example, you could learn vocabulary. The theory was in verbal advantage that you had to learn words in a certain order. That is, you learned words, and you know how I feel about order, so you can see why that was important to me. But you learn certain words first that are simpler, and then once you master those and can use them reliably well, then you learn the next level. You don't just try to learn lots of obscure words to impress people. It's more about learning words that you can use, and then as your level builds, your vocabulary also builds. And I really love that concept. I also love the commentary by the author explaining why words are pronounced the way they are, the origin and history of some of the words and all of that. However, for most people, that's kind of a deep dive. Not everyone has the time to invest in in a program like that, although I highly recommend it if you do. There are other ways to improve your vocabulary. And one is hanging out with people who speak the way you would like to speak. 
So if you have friends who are native speakers or simply people who are well-spoken, and if you don't have those kind of friends to hang out with, if you can watch television shows or media, anything basically, talk shows, whatever it might be, radio shows, listening to people, podcasts, for example, of people whose voices you like. And if you like the voice or you like the quality, you like the vocabulary, you're likely to pick it up and use it. A lot of my clients said to me, well, what about just reading? Like if I read The Economist or I read Harvard Business Journal or Newsweek or whatever it might be, is that helpful? And those magazines that I just mentioned or journals are quite helpful in the sense that the vocabulary is at a high level. So just reading the newspaper, for example, may not be helpful. Depends, but there are many newspapers written at the eighth grade level, believe it or not. And that's because the average person that they're trying to hit, you know, their audience is at that level. And so you may not be learning vocabulary that really serves you in in achieving your goal if your goal is to develop a high-level vocabulary. So if you really want to expedite that change, if you want to learn as much as you can, as fast as you can, you might want to read things that are related to what you want to achieve. Another good example is summary.com where you get these book summaries, kind of like cliff notes, but you can also listen to someone read it to you. And the speakers are quite elevated in a sense that, you know, they speak well, they're educated, they have clear accents, they're easy to follow. Depending on the forum, some people are easier to hear than others. You know, if you go on and listen to TED Talks or you listen to videos on YouTube, you might run into a variety of things. And I found that summary.com tended to have a very high level of speaker. The quality was quite good. And there's a diversity of topics, all business related. And all the books were summaries in that they were similar to Cliff Notes, just a summary of a larger book. And the idea is that instead of reading a 500, 700-page book, you can listen to a seven-page summary, get the major concepts, and then if you're truly interested, of course, you'd go to the book. But what I love about summary.com in terms of improving speech is that you can learn the buzzwords of all kinds of books that were written recently. These are popular books. They're books filled with jargon and everyday business language on topics related to business negotiation, sales, marketing, communication. So you can read a variety of things and move from one topic to another and really learn a lot of vocabulary in a short period of time. And all of you know that I'm also a big fan of recording yourself. And the thing about listening to summary.com online, for example, and reading it, you can print a PDF, you can listen to an MP3. But the idea is that you can pause at any time and record yourself. So you could repeat what someone says or read part of the article. You've got the voice so you know how to pronounce it. You don't have to worry as much about phonetics or IPA because you're listening to someone saying it and then you're repeating it. And it's a great way to pick up new vocabulary in context because they're summarizing a book. So they're going to come up with like general language, ways to introduce a topic, but also ways to give the body of the topic and all this, the results and the stories and the main ideas, capture the quality of what the essence of the theme is. And then at the end, they summarize it. So you get to do that over and over again with different topics. But you have to find a source that does it for you, whether it's an audio book, and you could just pick a certain book, but I would hear it out loud by a reader, a professional reader, as opposed to just reading something, some text. And choosing wisely what you invest your time in. Because if you're just randomly reading things, again, you could be reading at the eighth grade level with some newspapers. Why waste your time? 
So the source matters. And hanging out with people who have a good vocabulary can be helpful. Back to having a role model, you know, we talked a bit about that earlier when we were talking about, in general, how to improve your speech or how to achieve an accent or a speaking style you like. I think it's important to hang out with people that have a strong vocabulary or if you don't hang out because they're not really friends of yours, to watch whatever it is, whether it's a video or a show or whatever. Um, It could even be public presentations like your boss at work or a leader in your organization or a leader anywhere that has a presence to get a sense of how they conduct themselves. The nonverbal communication, which we haven't talked as much about, but that will be linked to their speech. And you can see just in general, how does the person deal with different situations, with different scenarios? How does the person deal with conflict? How does the person deal with Q&A? How does the person deal with difficult topics? And when you find someone who does a good job of things that you would like to do a better job with, it goes beyond vocabulary. I'm branching out here a bit. But the idea is that it's not just the words you use, but how you use them. You put emotion in the words. We talked a bit about vocal variety before having a wide range of pitches you can use. You want to be able to leverage that with the vocabulary. Now, if you are a non-native speaker, I strongly recommend that you have a list of words, a vocabulary list in a sense. You can do it in very various ways. One of the ways that I really enjoy doing it is a laundry list. And I say that just like you have a laundry basket and you throw your clothes in it, you might have a shirt or underwear or whatever. The same thing with words. You open a spreadsheet, whatever, or a word, just a list of words, and it could be in any any program like a Google Doc or something. And basically what you do is you just put in vocabulary words that you want to learn, but you write them phonetically. You can cut and paste. You can just get this off an online dictionary. But let's say the word is development. We use that word a lot uh, when I'm talking about word stress because the stress is on the V. And you might learn the word developmental and realize that Word forms are also important. When you change the word from development to developmental, you have to change the word stress from the vel to the ment. So marking that and writing it phonetically is invaluable to a non-native speaker to know how to say it and to integrate that. Another great example is the word analysis, because when you hit the word analyze or analytical, notice how the stress is moving. The syllable that I'm stressing. So analyze is on the first syllable. Analysis is on the second syllable. And analytical is on the third syllable. Sounds confusing. But if you were to put those words in a spreadsheet or a document and then have sample sentences, they don't have to be complete sentences. I like to call them common collocations. Linguistic term meaning how those words show up in real life for you. So if the word's developmental, you might say in the next phase, in the developmental phase, That might be how you use that word. Or it's still in development. I'm going to call the developer and ask him what to do about it. We've developed a new product. We are developing a new product. And in developing, you still stress the vel. I was stressing ing to make a point that you can add the ing ending. But the idea is that you can have one word and multiple forms of the word. And where you hear non-native speakers sometimes struggle is when they change the form of a word and don't get the word stress right. Another great example is the word strategy. Strategic has a different stress pattern. Strategically, but strategy. 
And the challenge with that is if you're talking quickly and you're trying to make a point and you get the word stress on the wrong syllable, it can throw your audience off and hurt your credibility. So you really want to practice saying those words correctly. Having a spreadsheet or just a list of words where you have each form. The laundry list is just having the words, having the phonetic, and having a sentence or a common collocation, a way you would use it. And then every day you just go down the list and read all the words. The other thing you can do though is if you have a word form, more detailed vocabulary building sheet, then what you do is you go in and you identify every single form and you might even have a connotation column. A connotation column in a vocabulary list is where you put a plus, a minus, or a neutral. So some words have a negative quality to them. People don't use them unless they're saying something negative. And other words have a very positive feel to them. You don't say it unless you mean something good. And other words are very, very neutral. So words like good and bad obviously have a connotation. Typically, good is positive and bad is negative, although people use bad to sometimes mean good. But the idea is that a word will typically have a connotation with it. And a neutral word like red, something is or isn't red, doesn't have a positive or negative connotation. Now, some things might be better read than others, but the idea is that the term itself does not imply that it's a positive or negative characteristic. And that's really useful when you get into nuances and vocabulary to know if something is more of a compliment or more of a drawback. You want to have that connotation so you don't choose the wrong word. And that can be really useful. And then you have to practice using it. And you just have to really trust and get out there and practice with friends and talking. And that's why it's so important for non-native speakers to have native speakers for friends, to have people you can try things out on. And if you don't have native speakers for friends, that's okay. You just want to make sure you're not speaking your own language, your primary or your mother tongue language all the time. And I've had clients who speak that language at home with friends and family, which is fine. But you have to have opportunities when you get out and socialize outside of work and use a wide variety of vocabulary words. So you want to be able to get out there, hang out with people, enjoy and talk, and start to use new vocabulary. And co using colorful words, using descriptive words, using more detailed words, and really going into detail, yes, using examples and qualifying terms. And then when you hear people use a word you don't know, making sure that you look it up later and learn to say it correctly. Because if you learn it from the get-go, it's so much better than if you learn it later on and you make mistakes. It's often hard to change it later. So if you can acquire it and learn to say it correctly, that can be really, really useful. Vocabulary is something that you might be judged on depending on what career field you're in and depending on where you live. I find some parts of the country might have different vocabularies. Certainly some words are used in some regions and not in others. And certainly certain dialects are used in certain regions and not in others. But when it comes to the words themselves, there's sort of a base vocabulary you need in certain jobs, in certain professions, in certain environments, and that's what you want to know. If you're a college teacher, you're going to use a different vocabulary than if you're a technologist, and if you're doing a video, you're going to speak to the average person, so, you know, doing a generalized video is very different than maybe talking to a group of executives, and you want to be able to adjust. One of the things about being a speaker is you have to be flexible. Not every speaker is a flexible speaker. Sometimes you'll listen to someone and they have one way of speaking. You may like it. You may find it entertaining, but they only have one way of speaking. And you have to be able to adjust not just to your audience, but to the venue, to the scope, 
to the expectation to be playful and funny and not necessarily a comedian, although that's a quality that some people aspire to that can be great to make people laugh, to have a sense of humor, generally a good thing. Some people are more serious than others. The idea is that you might need to motivate people, you might need to deliver hard messages, and you have to strike the right tone in front of different audiences. So if you strive to be a leader in your organization, for example, you have to be able to be flexible enough as a speaker that you can change. Not necessarily your entire style. People don't change dramatically typically without seeming like they're chameleons and they're doing too much of a change that can be off-putting. But you want to be able to customize what you say to your audience and be able to meet them where they're at. And that can look different in different phases of your career. It can look different in the number of people in the audience. If you're talking to a small group or a much larger group, if you're talking to customers or an internal audience at your organization or a mixed audience, you might need to strike a different vibe, a different feeling, a different culture. And just being in control of that and learning to use different vernacular, different vocabulary for a specific scenario is really, really useful. How are you going to know? Well, you only know by listening to people do it right and do it wrong. And often you learn more from mistakes. So if you make a mistake and you feel bad about it, you got to let that go. But again, if you're recording yourself, you'll hear what you did differently. Some people, just like they talk too fast, they may move their arms too much or do fidgeting kinds of movements. You generally want that breath and fluidity. And again, we'll be talking later about posture and verbal and nonverbal communication, but you want to sync your spoken voice to your nonverbal. So when you move and when you talk, there should be a connection, a similitude, a a way of communicating that when people listen to you and when they connect with you that the message is consistent and that the message is believable and you're authentic in who you are. And a lot of that has to do with syncing your language and your nonverbal communication. So I think all of that, maybe I've wandered a bit from vocabulary, but vocabulary is a big piece of it. If you're using language that connects with people, they're also going to be more forgiving of you if you do make some kind of a mistake. So those are all reasons to do it, and I think we've talked a bit about how to do it. If you do take my advice and create a spreadsheet, and that's if you're a non-native speaker, I don't think native speakers typically do that, especially not with phonetics, but as a native speaker, and if you're reading and learning new words, you might want to capture that in a similar way. But especially for non-native speakers, make sure that you're very detailed in your spreadsheet, and then you revisit it. And I would revisit it almost every day and do 10 or 15 words at a time, read them aloud, say them aloud, try to freeform them, try to come up with more than one sentence or common collocation and say it all aloud. And record yourself doing it and listen back. If it gets boring, just keep adding words to the list. So the more words that you have, of course, it's going to be more interesting because you're not going to be doing the same thing over and over again. And you can put them in groups. So you can learn phrases and expressions. If there's one that you hear people use and you'd like to use it, that's great. As we talked about earlier, you don't want to repeat the same words over and over. There are people, especially non-native speakers, because the vocabulary might be more limited in a foreign language, but the idea is that you want to broaden your vocabulary so you have a diverse number of choices and then practice using those choices, integrating it so they're natural, so it doesn't sound like you're repeating yourself. 
It's particularly challenging if you're talking about the same thing. So if you have to say related comments over and over again about a similar topic, you want to have different ways of saying it to engage your audience. And you can practice doing that. Record it, see how it sounds, change it, modify it. But having these lists and going through them and changing it up and having different sentences and then ad-libbing, you know, saying it aloud and changing it on the fly and then looking down at what you wrote and then maybe adding new stuff will keep you engaged and consistent. So you'll tend to get a result because you'll be practicing so much, so frequently, so often that it becomes integrated. These are kind of workarounds until you get to a point where you do have enough people that you can interact with that it happens more spontaneously. And some people create their own videos speaking, then they can watch those and get feedback depending on, again, the career that you're in. I've worked with people who create videos as part of their job, whether they're sales or marketing people, and they want to get their message out there, whether they're educators. But the idea is that you put videos out with your personal spin on it, and then you watch those back, and other people watch them and give you feedback. You can do so many creative things with this, but you got to start doing it. So if vocabulary is your goal, I hope I've given you some things that you can work on, and I look forward to seeing you and talking to you in our next podcast. Actually, I won't see you. I'll only imagine that you're there, but we'll discover some new topics each time we meet. 